today I have a very special guest. This guest happens to come from Pennsylvania, from generational poverty and trauma. She is a one percenter, someone who made their dreams come true. She accomplished things that she only had a one percent chance of doing. Just like most of you listening that have big dreams and big goals, she had the same thing and she made them come true. That's why in this very podcast, I asked her really challenging questions that she's going to share her insights on. From what do you do when no one supports your dream to how to feel comfortable in uncomfortable situations while you're on your journey of chasing your dream, how to improve your confidence, how to be okay with being alone on your journey and why it's needed after losing relationships because you will lose relationships, the importance of self-care, how to stay persistent even when nothing is working on your dream, the downfall of making some dreams come true, what to expect, why one percenters won't quit and will recognize that the things that everybody else is chasing in life, they find that doesn't make them happy and figuring out what the true goal of a one percenter, someone who really is trying to make a change in this life, what the real goal is, and much, much more. Enjoy. I got one of my good friends here with me, Beans. Beans, up, welcome yo? to the show. How you doing? How you doing? Every time me and Beans get together, we get really deep with talking. There's only some certain friends that you can have that can hold these type of conversations, and Beans is definitely one of them. What was the day you was like, yo, I'm definitely a one percenter? I feel like it started in school when I would just be in the back of the bus rapping for my friends in school. And I always knew like just stepping out, going out, I would party and stuff like that. And everybody, I would be rapping at the parties. Everybody knew I was the girl that rapped. So I just felt like once I graduated high school, I was like, I have to take this serious. Cause I started doing my poetry first, but I knew it was dope. Like I knew it was like undeniable. So I was like, I have to pursue this. I can't not do this. Like, I know I'm nice at it. It would be like wasted talent. You ever have a moment while you were rapping and you was trying to get into it that you had doubt? Not really doubt, because I always felt like I knew, like I knew that this was meant for me. It would be times where people tried to make me doubt myself, indeed, but that's the shit you got to ignore, because that's all the time. 100%. So then what would you do? Do you ever have a friend doubt you or someone close to you doubt you? Yeah, cut them off. You cut them off? No, nah, I off? just don't surround myself with stuff like that. So. And usually the bigger you go with your goals, you can find yourself very alone yeah. on this journey. So you're in high school. You're rapping. You're doing your thing. Yep. What do you do when you go to your parents? Are, we, are you the first one to rap in your family? Indeed. Um, my mom, I, as soon as I showed my mom, like when I first got into it, my mom was my biggest fan. Always still to this day, just always supported me. Never doubted me whatsoever. Other people in my family, not so much. But my mom has always been there. My dad, my stepdad is a DJ. He's been in my life since I was two. So that, that was really like the thing that made me get into it more because it just opened up my mind to music in the first place. But yeah, my family always supported me. Thank God. Yeah. That's Close dope. friends, whatever the small amount of friends that I do have always supported it as well. That's dope. Usually when a person is going on the hero journey, what Joseph Campbell calls it, and they put themselves in a position that they want to go after, they get, they get a calling, right? Like with their dream or things they want to do in life. But usually the hero ignores the call the first time or sometimes they call it, they ignore it forever was there ever a moment where you had like a calling to do something like you had a feeling like yo or had an opportunity to go freestyle at a you know maybe it was a small local radio studio before you became who you are today and you're like oh, i don't know if i want to do that and you stopped yourself did you ignore that calling in your journey the first thing that comes to mind when you say that is when i was probably 11 years old um i really had this thing with guitars like electric guitars and um, my parents bought me an electric guitar for Christmas. And I just 
messed with it a little bit, didn't know what to do with it and threw it to the side and never messed with it again. Whereas now I'm like, damn, I'm in music. Like I could have been nice on a guitar <laughs> by now, you know? So that's, the, that's what comes to mind when you say that. But so you're going to try to get back into it. I don't know. I do want to play an instrument, maybe go for piano since I have these long piano fingers. I never noticed how long your fingers were. Yeah, they're hella long. And then the nails just make them like <laughs> extra. Hey, you should have never said that because now when you talk, I'm just gonna be like, yeah, yeah, it's cool, it's cool. And I'm just gonna be looking at your fingers the whole time. Long ass fingers. <laughs> now the hero finally answers the call to their calling. Mm -hmm. And when they do, usually they have to overcome a lot of fear, a lot of new things. What was the moment when you got into an opportunity to do something rapping where you pulled up and People came with groups or people came with their parents that used to be in the game. Usually the hero is pull, a pull to an unfamiliar environment that makes them really question things. And they, they feel extra alone because they can't turn back and nobody behind them can relate to anything. You ever had that moment? Not exactly. But yeah. I feel like when you said when you mentioned fear, like I feel like the fear is like all the time. To this day still? All the time. Really? Like nonstop. Like you feel fear all the time. Like, for example, if I'm going to go do a show, I'll definitely feel fear before I get on stage. But fear of what? Anything. It's just not fear. What's it like? Like nervousness, like, like, like nervousness. Yeah. Nerves going crazy. I will call it fear, anxiety or whatever. Gotcha. But it just is something that you just when you get on stage, that goes away. Yeah. Yeah. After. Yeah. It's the anticipation. I just pray before I go on stage. I pray that everything goes good and it always does. But I still would feel nervousness before I get on the stage. Once you hit it, it's like adrenaline. You're good. You don't care. Nothing matters. Got you. I wonder why you said fear first, though. I heard you say fear. That's the only oh, reason why I said got fear. You, got you. Got you. You said something about fear. Got you. Yeah. There's. They say that there's a there's a very close line between anxiety and excitement. I can see that. So you have a lot of confidence with this. I got to be honest. I feel comfortable, like no matter where I'm at, all the time. Like I don't feel like I'm out of place. I might feel like I don't technically belong there, but I don't feel uncomfortable. Like, I feel like I can adjust to wherever I'm at at any time. So what would you say to somebody that has a dream and they're very uncomfortable everywhere they go? What's your advice to that? I would definitely say to build up confidence, belief in yourself. And I think that that's normal to be uncomfortable <clears throat> where you're at, especially wherever in, in a place where you've never been before. I think that's normal. That's just a part of life. Everybody's uncomfortable when they haven't been somewhere before. It's the fact that, you can adjust and become comfortable there. So if someone wants to work on the confidence, how do they get the confidence up? Eesh, tough questions. I don't know. I just do a lot of self-care and, you know, get a lot of compliments from people. So I don't know. Gotcha. <laughs> confidence comes from repetition. So the more somebody does something and reps something out, the more confident they become. And usually when they say they're not confident, I say, okay, how many times did you do it? And they usually say, well, I never did it before. I only did it once or did it twice. And usually the more someone does something, the more confident they become because the neurotransmitters, their nervous system, their subconscious mind kind of takes it on as automation. So it becomes automatic for them. But if somebody wanted to practice more self-belief and be more confident, what is something that you do? What is something a part of your self-care that if you're too stressed or things are too much, what is something you do? I do all my self-care. I like to do like... You're asking me like methods of self-care? Yeah, yeah. Like, like, like what are some kind of like things that you do that the audience will be like, oh, I didn't, I never even thought about that before. Nice bubble bath with Epsom salt. Mm. Lay in there, put on some tunes, candles. You like wine? Drink some wine. I don't know. Relax. Smoke something. But I'm not. No, yeah. Come on. I'm not promoting that. Come on. But yeah. You can you say know. that. Come on. 
but it's like, very normal today. My self care is different though. Like I like to like do my eyebrows. Like the, like simple things that make me relax might not be the same for other people. But like I do my nails, I do my toes. I just I don't know so things that make chill. me feel good about myself. But I also agree with what you said about repetition. Like once you do something one time, do it. Then you do. It, then you're at ten times, a hundred times. It becomes like automatic for you. Mm -hmm. It's not even like I'm thinking about it. I'm nervous about it. I'm confident in it because I know that I'm nice at it. I did it a hundred times already. How much is music? How much does it mean to you as far as like when you're feeling down? Everything. Because I mean, and I don't even think that's just me, mm -hmm. a person that does music. I think that's for a lot of people. Uh, music just talks to the soul. You know, music makes you feel happy, sad, whatever. If I'm feeling sad, I'll listen to some happy music. If I'm feeling happy, I might, you know, get in my romantic. I might get in my R&B. Like, I don't know. Music just gives so many feelings. And yeah, no, that's what important. You pretty probably noticed i got the system playing all day the speakers Non-stop. playing all day yeah all day music is very healing what i notice with music is same if i want to get into a business mindset i put a lot of j on you know a lot of jay-z if i want to go out there and try to stand up for something save the world is usually nas j cole kendrick if i want to get my ego that's drake kanye kanye too yep. so let me ask you a question how long did it take you to get recognized well, I started I started really taking it serious when I was probably 17 and it it's still I mean, I'm still becoming recognized to this day. Um, I just feel like it's like a, a, a journey, you know, the journey doesn't stop. But um, I noticed I started getting recognition when I was uh, really doing my freestyles. And that probably took me maybe four years in when people actually started knowing who Beans was. Four years. Beans does freestyles. Four That's years. Beans. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. When you wanted your dream and nobody came to save you, you went to go do your own freestyles? Yeah. And I wasn't even looking at that time. Like I was just going for it. Like I wasn't even looking for to get signed or somebody to come, you know, save me or whatever. It was just like, I know that this is what I want to do. So I started just pursuing it. I'm going to put out, I started doing poems on social media. I would put up Facebook uh, poems on Facebook. Just me, you know, rapping with no beat, just saying some deep stuff that they probably didn't even know what I was talking about. It was so deep. I watch it now and I'm like, what, what was I saying? That's, it sounds like a book, like a, you know, it's not a rap. It sounds like a book. You just tapped in. But that's how it started with poetry. So that's what I started uploading. So nobody, and when I, when I mean by nobody come save you, when people come from trauma or poverty, you are a victim at one point in your life. But most of the time you can find people get stuck in the victim archetype. So basically the mentality of the reason why I'm not making it is because it's this person's fault. Or the reason why I'm not making it here is because it's, you know, this person told me they were going to come help me with my music. They didn't come. But the one percenter finds a way through all of that. They don't accept no as an answer. You basically self-made, right? You're just like, yo, nobody's going to come find me. Got I'm going to have to find my way out there, right? Mm -hmm. So when you started turning on a camera, what would you tell somebody if they're scared to turn on a camera and get behind a camera? I'll just tell them to do it anyway. Feel the fear, do it anyway. Feel the fear and do it anyway. Just like it's nobody's, nobody's going to save you at any time anyway. When you were doing this, do it. did you vision like, yo, this is one day somebody's going to come and find one of these videos? Possibly, but th I didn't really bank on that. Like I was like, I'm just going to get my name out there in any, any way that I possibly can. What kept you to stay persistent? Uh, I think I got a lot of like support, from, um, you know, besides my 
main support source, which is my my family and my my friends. Um, I got a lot of support from people, people that and and still to this day, it's like people that come up to me, yo, Beans, I was I was watching you years ago when you was doing freestyles that when Instagram was putting out 15 second videos, like that's when I started doing my freestyles. On this journey, four years it took you, right? So within those four years, did you ever have a nine to five? The whole time. Yes. Mad nine to fives at that. Like I worked at any, any, any type of business you could think of. I worked there. I sold carpets. I sold stoves. (laughs) No, you did not. (laughs) I worked at McDonald's for two days and then I got fired because they told me, uh, less leaning, more cleaning. So I I didn't get fired. I quit. Yeah. Cause they told me that I was chilling on the clock. I was um, hanging out and they're like, my, my manager passes by. She goes, less leaning, more cleaning. I was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm never coming back. How long you worked there for? Like two days, but I had <laughs> mad jobs though. I had mad jobs though. <laughs> <laughs> she said I worked there for like two days. I, Yo, go. I never heard somebody making a complaint. I never heard a manager making a complaint to somebody that worked for two days before. It was horrendous. It was horrendous. Did you take that money and reinvest it back into the dream? At that time, yeah. Um, when I when I first dropped my like my first project, like when I was really taking music serious and I dropped my project, I actually quit the job that I was at because I was like, Oh, it's lit. I'm lit. I'm dropping an album. I don't I don't need to work no more. But that wasn't true. But whatever money I did make, I always spent going to New York. I would I lived in PA, so I would drive, which was like two and a half hours. I would drive from PA to New York, go to work till 4 p.m., leave after four, drive straight to New York, do a show, be there till four in the morning, whatever time it was, come back and go straight to work the next day. And you would do all that with no proof that this was going to work? No proof whatsoever. And this was when I was paying to do shows. Like, you actually had to pay to be on a showcase. So, like, say, for example... My first show I did was I opened up for Fred Degasson and me and Fred Degasson got had a relationship, a great relationship after that. Rest in peace to him. Um, but yeah, you would have to pay to open up. So like say you pay two fifty to open up for Fred Degasson. Mm. So you had to pay to just get your name out there in the first place. And when and you came to New York, you got a hotel. No, straight home. You never got a hotel. Drove there, drove back. And how long was that drive for the audience that doesn't know? They're not familiar with that. Two and a half hours. From where? PA to New York. So that means Pennsylvania. PA Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you drove and then, so you spent money on the gas. You spent money on the tolls. You spent money on the bridge. Or the, All of that. Me. Food. You got to get a drink when you're there. You know, whatever. And what did you do? Fits. Was that like in hopes that someone's going to find you? Indeed, in hopes that something was going to happen. I didn't even, it wasn't even like for somebody to find me or for, you know, I had nothing in mind about what was going to happen, but I knew that it felt good. I enjoyed what I was doing a million percent. Yeah, that's that's dope, y'all. See, I didn't ask you these questions because one day I plan to have this conversation with you raw. Yeah. I don't want to be like, so tell them. Yeah. Did you drive up from New York? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't fake it. It's yeah. not in me. I'm sorry. It sounds like you were driven from a lot of faith. Because if you're investing this much time, this much money into, you know, going into New York, paying to get on shows, it's like four years, a lot of faith right there. I think that's all I was going on for a long time. Like it was just like in hopes, in hopes. And in, in, in enjoyment, because it always felt like I wasn't doing like a job or like I wasn't just trying to, you know, 
make something happen. Like it was like, this is flowing nicely. Like everything was going exactly how it was supposed to, because it was where I was supposed to be, where I was supposed to be and where I'm supposed to be. Nonstop vibes. Even those times that I'm telling you about where I would drive, you know, so long, whatever, to go over here and come from New York to Pennsylvania. Like I enjoy those things. Why? I don't know. It just felt, it's exciting. It's like, ooh, want to do a show, ooh, going to shoot a video or whatever. I'm enjoying this. Do you still enjoy today? Every time. This is fun. Gotcha. I'm having a blast right now. Gotcha. Would this be more difficult on your journey if your mother did not support you? 100%. And only because she's my best friend. So, you know, if she didn't support me, we probably wouldn't be best friends. So it would be a whole, I would probably be a totally different person. It would probably be a whole different scenario. But 100%, because my mom made so many things happen for me behind the scenes. My dad, the same, like, for example, my dad bought me a microphone. You know, just simple things that they do that help you to progress in what you're doing. If they didn't do that for me, I, I don't know what I would be doing. So what would your advice be to someone who wants a dream? If they don't have support. That's tough. It's tough. But I do think that you can find people who do support you. And at the end of the day, you have yourself. So as long as you believe and you feel good and you, you know, you love what you're doing, I think that that's really all, all that you need. Tough to say. One thing that I noticed is it's very normal for the hero to leave home, right? A lot of the times it doesn't really mean a person's leaving their environment, but mo sometimes it does. But usually you're leaving a belief system. You're leaving comfort. Some people don't have that support. Like when I went to college, I remember the day like it was yesterday. I went to, I was prepping for it for a long time because the one person I say bye to was Brandon, my little brother. I never said bye to him. My, we never separated. And I was thinking in my mind the whole summer, how I'm going to say bye, how I'm going to hug him, how I can turn so you know I don't start crying. And the day came and I put my clothes in a laundry bag, threw the laundry bag over my shoulder, went to say bye to my uncle first. It was easy to say bye to him. See you later, bro. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And then it was Darren, the youngest one. And then it was Brandon. And then I went to go hug Brandon. And I had to really like force myself not to cry. And then I wanted one person to tell me everything was going to be all right. And I went into the room to say bye to my dad. And I said, dad, I'm out. Bro was knocked out. He was asleep. And he was in one of those sleeps. My dad gets into these sleeps that he... He's gone. He's been up two to three days hustling, making sure he pays the bills. And I just wanted him to know like, yo, I'm leaving because I know he's going to give me a speech or something like that. And I didn't get that speech. I got in a car, 1992, Acre Legend, and I start driving down 95. See Reem over here. He, mm -hmm. You remember that legend, right? So we got Kareem over here for those that can't see him. We're going to have a camera on him next time. And I'm driving. And I'm crying the whole time. I was like 18 years old. Never left Jersey City. Never left Brandon behind. And I did not want to go to college. I wanted to, I wanted to go to school to study. But I did not want to go to college and leave my family. Three and a half hours, that was very new to me. It was different. And then my car broke down. The day that I had oh. to report to football camp. So uh, it was August 2nd, 2012. It broke down. I was on the side of the highway for like six hours. 
I finally get to school. Everybody has their family there. Everybody is like their parents are coming, unpacking, getting the dorm room to look real nice. And I had a laundry bag over my shoulder. People had buckets of clothes, suitcases. And I went to my dorm room. I sat there. And at that moment, I'm, I remember all the stories my stepfather and my family told me about prison, about how the, the walls are thick. You're not there with your loved ones and you're alone. And I felt like I was in prison at that moment. But of course, my circumstances are different. My situation was different. You're right. You have to find a way to, to really, really dive in and, and be fine with yourself and be alone. And I became a master at being alone. And I, I wouldn't be able to do that without music. And that's why I respect what you do. On this journey, you're going back and forth from New York, right? And then you're making your videos. Yep. Was your following growing fast? Uh, slowly but surely, for sure. Slowly but surely, like I last, like before I did uh the show on Netflix, I probably had like 40k followers, and I probably gained that over the span of five years. It took a while, yeah. How old were you when you were doing this? Uh, I think I started when I was like, when I really started pursuing it was when I graduated. So probably like 17, 18. And not one thing in your mind, like, yo, you know what? Maybe this thing came for me. Nah, besides my uncle. When are you going to get a job? When are you going to go to college? You know, he was that kind of uncle. How'd you respond to that? I said, tell him, yo, mind your business. Like, I'm doing what I'm doing. Worry about your kids. That's it. <laughs> I never really explained it, to, like explained it to him, like, you know, this is my dream and da da da. Like, obviously, that's what it is. Obviously, you know, yeah. like, so I would just disregard everything he said all the time. So, what would you say to somebody that has to deal with that type of person every day? Them, get rid of them. I, I just, I think it, I'm a big believer in protecting your energy. I would rather be alone in a room locked up than to be around people who are supposed to be family or supposed to be friends who don't really treat me that way. I think. In my experience of working with people, people, when you say protect your energy, some of them like either take it too far and don't know when to do it. And then some people take it to the place where they're confused on when to say no. Mm -hmm. And one simple thing that I, you know, preach is that if when you figure out what your dream is, you test people and you see how they respond when adversity hits. You, you see how they respond when you mention a big idea and if they're negative about these things. Then you pull back a little bit. Yeah. And then when you say no to something and they go against that and they're upset about it, now you pull back further away because you're starting to learn that this person doesn't deserve your time and energy when you have time and energy and they don't make the dream team. Yep. Right. I agree. You're five years in doing freestyles once a week. Maybe once a week. Yeah. Especially at that time, it was 15 seconds. That's like three bars, four right. bars. It was really nothing to put out a freestyle. And then out of nowhere, Netflix hit you up. Yes. So before that, I did do, yes, once a week freestyles. I did like a 10-week um, playlist or whatever you want to call it. Dropped 10 freestyles back to back to back to back. And that really did help to grow my following. And um, I was still doing the shows at that time, you know, still going to New York, performing every chance I got. You know, whatever opportunity popped up, I would take it. Anybody that was like a rapper you watched growing up hit you up and like, yo, I hear you or I see you. All the time. Who was the first big one that you like, yo. Damn, I don't even know. Think about that. See if it comes up. Probably the first big one was probably DMX. He didn't hit me, but I did open up for him in Allentown, uh, Pennsylvania. 
And um, after the show, we chopped it up. He chopped it up with me for like an hour and just was talking to me about, you know, what I was doing and how I should maybe try this or, you know, do it this way or, you know, just giving me gems, nonstop gems. DMX? DMX. You didn't tell me this? Yeah. Yo, I'm a huge DMX fan. Yeah. No. And he's, he was a really good, really good dude. He was a really good dude. Like genuinely, he didn't owe me shit. I was a like a young kid just trying to make something happen. And he was like, you have, you definitely have a, something great about you. Like, let me tell you something. DMX is telling you, you got something great. You ain't going to hear nobody more real than DMX tell you about your life. Facts. Yeah, it's true. You saw the interview, what he said about Drake. Yep. I did see that. He said, I don't like his face. I don't like how he walks. I like nothing about him. Yo, he wasn't even sitting down the whole time. He was standing up, <laughs> just ready to get out of there in the breakfast club. Yeah. That was funny, yo. We watched that in, in college. When it came out, we were crying. Yeah, that was crazy. But DMX got good. He had good energy, real good energy. And who contacted you for you to open up for DMX? Uh, This was like mad long ago. So, you know, probably the promoter from that show. What, what age were you? I was probably 21, 22 at the time. Maybe younger. Nah, maybe 22. All right, so then that goes down. Then someone from Netflix, do they DM you? They reach out to me, yes. On DM? Yeah. And then what was the pitch? We got a show coming up. We don't know nothing. We can't tell you no type of details, but we would love for you to be on it. And it's going to be on Netflix. Oof. Show up here. Rap show. How old were you? Damn, I don't know. I was probably 23. Mm. 23 when it came. Yeah, probably 23. All right. And then what was the show? Rap show, rap competition show. Um, and yeah, they said, come pull up. And everybody had to go do auditions. I went to New York and did my auditions over there because obviously they didn't have any in Pennsylvania. So I had to go to, to the nearest lit city, which would have been New York, mm -hmm. and um, did, did the audition. And even then, still, we had no idea what the show was, still. Okay, so now Netflix hit you up. You get yep. on. Where, where did that film? Uh, in L.A. Okay, so now look, Netflix calls, you did a show with DMX. In your heart, did you make it? No. Why? Because it just didn't feel like it. It just wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't there yet. So one thing that I've come to realize in studying the patterns of one percenters is that a one percenter is really never satisfied. I believe that because I still feel the same way. Not, never never satisfied. As soon as I finish, like, for example, if I drop something or like drop a single or drop a freestyle, whatever it is, I'm already like, what's next? What am I doing next? Shit just dropped. It just mm -hmm. dropped two hours ago. And I'm like, what am I doing next? Always. It never fails. You ever get to a moment where you did something and you sat with it for like a week and like, yo, I'm, I'm proud of myself. All the time. So what I do is uh, I'll drop, right? And I'll lay, whatever, whatever, I'm laying in bed or whatever. And I'll just look at my Instagram or, you know, YouTube, whatever it is. And I just watch it from another perspective that's not myself. I don't know who it is, but it's not me. Because I'm watching it and I'm like, damn, that's hard. Yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. yeah. killed that. Like, yeah. like, like, I didn't do it. Yeah. Like, I didn't record it or nothing like it's like the first time hearing it it's crazy how, how that works you ever get a moment where you do something big and then after that you felt like it was like your whole life it was like hyped up more than it really was all the time 
So during the Netflix show, the DMX show, did you feel like that? No, not okay, really. Cool. Um, I mean, I guess for the Netflix show, I would say like, yeah, after the fact, it was like, okay, being on TV is not really, um, like you see it, but it's not really what it's cracked out to be. Yeah. That would be an, uh, an example of me feeling like that. But also, it's not like I would go back in time and not do that. Gotcha. You know? yeah, it was A lot of good came from that. So Yeah. So you go on the Netflix show, you do your thing, and then did they pay you? You don't have to tell me if they paid you a lot or whatever, but did they pay you on that? No, they don't pay you for A that. lot of it's like for free for publicity, right? Yeah, you're just getting... You know, most people don't know that. Most people don't know that shows like that won't pay you. Most people don't know that podcasts... Like big podcast shows won't pay you. Magazines don't pay you, you know? Yeah, none of them pay you. It's more like uh, for the opportunity or for the look or, mm-hmm. you know, what comes with it. But most of them things you don't get paid. You don't get paid for interviews or nothing like that. When that when, when that Netflix show came out, how many followers did you go? You had 40,000 at one point. Where'd you go to after that? I had 40,000. Then I went up to probably 90,000. Then it went up to 150. Then it went up to two and then uh, I think it ended it like not ended, but I think it the following from the show stopped at like two hundred and fifty thousand probably. Okay, and then how long did that take? Shit. As soon as the show dropped, that was like like a three week span. It took you five years to get forty thousand. Yeah. And it took you two weeks to get two hundred ten thousand. Yeah. Yeah. You see that? Like your life can change like overnight. Well. I believe Did you that. feel different after having more followers? You felt like, yo, yo, you got to talk to me different. I got, I got followers. Yeah. If you wanted a feature, the price was definitely going up, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I didn't like, as a person though, I didn't feel like it made me feel any type, you know, any, any differently. Like I just still, I was still feeling the same way. Hungry, still had something to do. Would you rather 300,000 people follow you? Or 3,000 loyal fans? Probably 3,000 loyal fans. Because 300,000 people could be 250,000 full of bots. Mm-hmm. People who don't even see your, the shit you post. Like It's it's crazy how that following mm-hmm. thing works. Um, I don't put too much stock into how many followers you have. It really doesn't mean nothing. You see people on the streets that have 5K, not even 5K followers, and they got hella money in the bank. So mm-hmm. it really means nothing. Mm-hmm. And then somebody with 5 million followers don't got half of what he has. So. Absolutely. A lot of people be buying their followers or a lot of people. Put a look. Put a look on. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, a lot of one percenters can be discouraged on their journey because they don't have enough followers. And the truth of the matter is. I've worked with a lot of people or a lot of followers that don't make a dollar from their followers. Yeah. Or can't sell a t-shirt to their followers. Because followers, the amount of people you have follow you is amazing, but the the amount of people you give value to is more amazing. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And what people got, you know, people just matic- automatically think, I got 300,000 followers and uh, now I can make a $100,000 sponsorship deal. That ever happened to you? 100 bands? Sponsorship deal? Sponsorship deal? Not yet. 100 bands? 100 bands? Not yet. Right. Tell them to call me though. All right. <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm ready. All right. Now you do the Netflix show. What was the downfall? Because you had the DMX show. And then like, as far as you opened up for DMX and then you go on Netflix, usually the universe will show you a polarity. 
what did you have any polarity right after the Netflix show? What was something that what was something that was hard for you? Usually the hero goes out, uses his superpowers, right? Metaphorically, and then notices that when they thought they were the superhero they thought they were ready to be, they find the resistance. Okay. What comes to mind, I'll be this is probably mad vulnerable, but um at that time, right, when the show dropped, I lost not lost like people died, but I lost relationships with probably my entire circle. That's probably that uh L that I had to take there. But yeah, all like nobody was the same around me. Like the the relationships just fell through from love, work friendships like it didn't matter everybody was like everybody was just like shaking from away from me and that that was the end of it why i don't know but well now i know because at that time i felt like i was the problem right because all these people were leaving and i was like damn like what did i do to these people but now none of them people could be around me like they would they wouldn't have been able to be around who i am today Mm -hmm. it just wouldn't fit so like at that time I was like stressed and down and out about it. I'm like, damn, why is this happening? Why are all the, you know, why, why, why is my circle, not my circle anymore. But now I'm like, Oh, had to happen like that because they wasn't meant to be here. That's, that's all it is. Now there's, I think for every real level up, you got to drop some people off that were holding you down. Yeah. Oh, that's a bar. That was a bar. My bad. I kicked you. <laughs> that was a bar. Let's hit it one more time. That was a bar, but that's, that's true. Fear does not enter a mind of a person who makes a decision. Fear only messes with somebody when they're indecisive. I can see that. Fear can't enter a mind that made a decision already. You're really good at making a decision and sticking to it. Yeah, except for when it comes to finding something to eat. <laughs> then I'm super indecisive. <laughs> hey, listen, you keeping it real. You keeping it real. You keeping it real. You know, are you hungry right now? Low key. Yeah, I can tell. I can tell. I got some chicken downstairs, rotisserie chicken. I'm yeah. going to tear it up. There is something I do. I told you I wanted you to try one of these. I want yes. your opinion on these. So I'm going to have one of these too because I am starving. So you saw my pantry? I did. There's a lot of supplements in there, right? Yes. It's like a whole pharmacy. Yes. When I drink coffee in the morning, I usually have like vitamin B12, vitamin B1, magnesium, potassium, sodium, vitamin C. Because usually when you drink coffee, coffee can really pull out the minerals out of your body. And I was on trying to look things up and I came across a lot of things. I don't know about y'all, but you ever come across something, you drink it and it really just tastes too bitter or just too sour. I found Magic Mind and I started drinking Magic Mind. So usually I take a shot of espresso in the morning, so I'm not giving up my coffee. But instead of having two, three more shots throughout the day, I just have one of these. There is caffeine in there. The difference between this and something like green tea is that green tea or just black coffee won't come with all the vitamins to help replace the things that were taken out of the body after having coffee. So I just wanted to put that in there. This is the first time I ever even put any type of supplement or any type of product on any of my content since I started content in 2015 that I I am proud to put up. If you are interested for Magic Mind, I left the description down below and you can literally save 50% on your Magic Mind. Let's get beans drinking that thing. Delicious. But let me ask you a question. You drink caffeine? Yes. You about to be lit right here. Did you go from LA back to Pennsylvania after the show? Yes. How'd that feel? Back to PA. It felt, oh my God, dreadful. Mm -hmm. I mean, you just imagine you're going from this beautiful, sunny Amazing weather. You got beaches everywhere you look. Amazing food. You know, anything you could think of to Pennsylvania. It was cold as hell. It was probably wintertime. Snowing. You got, what's that called? Um, 
seasonal depression. Yeah. It was just, you know, it wasn't the vibe. And I come from like a real small city uh, from Reading. So it's not like I could just go to the beach or go get some banging ass food. Like it's just real small. I could walk the whole city. Me and my best friend used to walk from North to the South to the East in one day. Like it was, you know, it was nothing small town. So yeah, it was, it was crazy to do. Now you go back home. You know, it's crazy when you go back home from LA the first time, you know, I experienced the same thing. Marie, you dog, you dog the home. Like, oh my God. Yo, this is trash. I hate this place. Yeah. I hate this place. Look, y'all acting broke. Look at y'all. Y'all act broke. <laughs> Where I just came from, don't complain about driving Mercedes and 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 G wagons. When you got back, did they call you Hollywood? All the time, they still do. Yeah, I don't, I don't care. I'm that's like, like, yeah, that's I something am. like that's like in an urban area. Like when you make it, they call you Hollywood. I don't care, even if you ain't do nothing. Hollywood. It is true. You don't have to. They, they say you act Hollywood. It's like, bro, all I'm doing is getting better at my life. Like you call that Hollywood, or you're improving yourself, and they call you Hollywood. It's like, okay, I guess I'll be Hollywood then. Right. All day. So then you go back to Pennsylvania and then what was, how long did it take you to go to the next step? And what was that next step? It didn't take long at all. And the next step was moving to LA to work on my album. Mm -hmm. It didn't take long at all. So you got a record deal. I did get a little deal, uh, a distribution deal. Mm -hmm. That's Um, a record deal. Pretty much. Yeah. That's one, that's like a 1% chance. Babe, do me a favor. Google, what's the chances of you getting a record deal? Oh. 1%. 1%. What did I tell you? Yeah. I swear to God, I ain't looked that up. Remember, I was telling you earlier, I was like, oh, I'm going to ask you some questions. I'm like, it's going to be about like 1%. And, you know, there's a great chance that it was only a 1% chance that you made your dream come true with, you know, getting just a record deal. Mm -hmm. There's patterns in this. 1% 1% chance. Now, if we look at the chances of you making out your neighborhood, depending like the amount of income your parents had, it's probably only 1% chance that you'll make more money than them. Probably 1% chance you won't have a baby by 20. When did your mom have you? 17. When did your grandma have your mom? Probably around that same age. You see what I'm saying? So unknowingly, you broke that, you know, generational cycle. You know what I'm saying? The one percenters. You're overcoming things that nobody has ever overcome in your family. Now you get to LA. Yep. Bring me through that journey. And this can be hundred percent raw. Um, and as you bring me through that journey, when did I come on that hero journey? And is there anything that I added to your life? That is a lot of questions and I want to answer all of them the right way. Yeah. yeah. Because valid questions. Um, so when I went to LA, a lot changed because I'm coming from the East coast to the West coast. So like entire culture difference, people are different. Life is different. And then you say, when did I meet you? I probably met you probably, I don't know, seven, eight months when I was there. I don't know. Pretty quickly though. And you changed my life immensely in all ways, like anyway, from my life to my parents, my parents' lives, lives, uh, as far as my mom, mm-hmm. because you sat, you even sat down with my mom and tried to help her with, you know, things that she's dealing with. Um, but yeah, I feel like when I came across you and Re, I came across good, genuine people who I consider friends. Mm-hmm. So whenever I'm feeling like any type of way, having a conversation with you just automatically makes me feel 10 times better. So that's just one simple way that you changed my life. This is another way, like, look at what we're doing right now. Like, mm-hmm. Every time I see you, it's um, 
an improvement. I feel better. I feel a weight lifted off of my shoulders every time it never fails. Since I met you. The day that I met you, Ace came over to the crib and he came over with the baby, right? He came over with baby and Coco. I remember you were there and you were quiet in the yeah. corner. Mm -hmm. And I remember like it was yesterday. <laughs> Me too. I think he was wearing like red Jordan. You had red, um, red Jordans on. Yeah, like black and red on that day. Probably. And I was shaking. Well, yeah. I was doing Fidgeting something. Yeah. And Nate's like, let me ask you a question. Did you have uh, any traumas with your dad when you was growing up? Or something like that. I was like, who's this guy? I'm like, Ace brought me over here. I'm like, what's this guy talking about? <laughs> I had no idea, like, how deep you knew things yeah. and, like, how you can actually look at somebody and be like, oh, this person has this problem. You had problems with your mom when you was fucking three years old. Excuse me. When you was three years old. It's crazy. Like, it bugs me nah, out. Look, he's laughing because he, he saw me do that my whole life. So Reem saw me do that my whole life. It is. I wanted to say, to it, you know, when you came in, I was, I don't just do that, you know, because it's crazy. I go to workshops. I do workshops. People like, read me. I'm like, nah, you know, it doesn't, you got to be a little kinder with it. But when um, I remember you coming over and I was actually a little scared to, to say something to you because to be honest, I would have never guessed at that particular time that you were so loving and loyal because you were so hard. Like you was like, like tough and you were fidgeting, fidgeting. I was like, okay, I know that sign. She's wearing red. She's avoiding eye contact. She's putting a mean face on. I'm seeing an archetype here. And then I didn't want to say nothing. We just chilling. I'm like, yo, can I ask you a question? And then when I said that to you, you were like, you looked up. And then from there, we started talking, you know, we just started kicking in. We connected right away. And I remember Ace was like, yo, I want beans to start coming, you know, through a little more, whatever, whatever. And I was like, all right. So when you came, I remember we wanted to fix some things with your spine. Yo, I actually had that picture on my phone the other day. You, I look at you now when you walk, it's a whole different ball game. And that was only just a little bit that we did. That was, yeah, that was like the yeah. top layer type. Yeah. So when I first, is it okay if I tell him? Tell him what? Your spine. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. No, I'm not going to tell him anything else. Yeah, yeah, no, no. <laughs> You're like, tell him what, dog? What are you talking about? No, basically, so what, what was going on with, with Beans, and it happens to a lot of people, like if it, imbalances in, this, in the hip flexors or imbalances in the core muscles, it can cause huge shifts in the spine. And when I first started working with Beans, she had more of a curvature throughout her, her thoracic spine. So the upper part of her spine and her neck, I remember you know, telling her like, oh, this right here is zone four. This has a lot to do with the heart chakra and breathing and um, allowing yourself to speak up for yourself in, in life. But also we found an imbalance with the pelvis. So we started to do some things with the hamstrings, uh, the core, uh, lunges, side lunges. I remember I would look at her during the work. I knew when she was, she was ready to get out of there. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that look. And then um, within, you know, a couple of weeks, we saw improvements and then I think I gave you homework because I think this is when you went to Vegas or you was going back home. I think it was going to Vegas and then we gave you homework. I think he was doing it in the gym here and there. But a lot of the times when just like every other client of mine at that time, and now we even do it to the next level is 50% of it. We're training. We can train for like an hour and then we're probably talking for two hours. Yep. Right. And yep. we're planning out like, you know, the next year and I'll tell you like, yo, this is my next move. This is what I see. This is what I have to do. It's, it's crazy. That was 2021. 
that's crazy to think about. I said that to you in the kitchen one day. I'm like, yo, we're about to go on three years, three years of knowing each other. The album comes out. Tell me about that process. So is that the time you're like, yo, I made it? Like, yo, I made it. Definitely the closer, I fe- that was the closest I felt prior to, you know, any other thing that I've done. Mm. Um, for sure. Because the album just, the album was fire. The album went crazy, put a lot of work into it, a lot of time, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Yep. Um, dope features on the project. Can you let the audience know your opinion on when you make it to a certain level? Because you made it to the 1% level in the music industry. That's big. Did people just now start hitting you up and you start making millions of dollars and, you know, all the rappers want to see you win and, does that happen in the music industry? 1,000%. Yeah. As far as family, like, oh, cousin. Like, I don't know you. Um, no, I'm talking about like other rappers coming through. Rappers too. Everybody. Whoever you can think of. Family. People that you knew from school. Rappers. What's up? Oh, yeah. Y'all fuck with your shit. Boy, I sent you a DM 20 years ago. Mm. You dubbed me. You left me on scene. Like, what do you mean? But that's just the game. Like, I don't never take stuff like that personal because people just don't, like I said earlier, people yeah. don't see it yeah. until it's there, until it's done. And they're like, oh, I've been, I've been messing with you. I've been a fan. I've been, you know, no, he wasn't. Liar. He lied. How's the energy in LA for you? Oh, uh, just different. Very different. Is it hard for you to explain? It's not hard to explain. I just feel like you got to be in the, you got to be looking for that vibe. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, especially coming from the East Coast, like the East Coast is just, you know, I feel like it's the love there. That's home. Whereas over there, it's like, mm, I don't fit in as much, probably because I'm just not from here. Uh, just my swag is different. The way I walk, like they can see you're not from here. Yeah. But if I'm trying to go get some like vibes, go out to a cool spot, nice rooftop, beach is beautiful. Just nice, you know, do some shopping. Like, it's just a vibe that I'll, I'll go there for. You get to L.A. and you're at your, your highest. Any expectations you had that didn't happen for you? That's tough, but I don't think so. I don't think I really uh, expect things, like, put expectations on anything. Like, I'm just like, if it happens, it happens. And if it doesn't, then it wasn't meant to. I have everything happens for a reason tatted on my knee. So I'm a big believer in that. Like, I really believe, like, everything happens exactly how it's supposed to. And I don't like to put expectations on things because you just you just shouldn't do that. Most of the time, mm. it doesn't. What you expect is not the case. Never really. Buddha says that, you know, expectations is like the main step to suffering. Yeah, it's like a form of attachment. And mm-hmm. attachment is suffering. You know what's crazy? One of my biggest weaknesses is expectations. Me too. I still do. Especially out of, I think more out of people. I put a lot of expectations on people and then they don't live up to that because I would expect you to be like me, but a lot of people is just not like me. Mm-hmm. So they don't ever reach my expectations. And then I'm just let down. I'm like, Oh, well they never said they was going to do that. Or I just saw that in them. That's my fault. Yeah. Having expectations is trash. It is trash. And I think having expectations, yeah, I think that was one of the things that, I I was subconsciously working through these last couple months because I think for me, I had to find where it came from so much. Like, why did, why, why do I do that? When you have that, you get caught up in a lot of things. Mm-hmm. You, 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 you lose the, the fun 
of making art, you know, like I, you know, when I draw a podcast or, or a video idea, or you, you're rapping, if you expect this to be like a number one, then you're take, you're robbing yourself out of the art. Yep. And I agree. I found myself always seeing algorithms that happen to really support certain, you know, um, rhythms and, and the way to do a podcast and the way to do a video and the way to go viral and all these things. Do you see that in your career? Like, this is how you should make a song with this type of beat. And mm -hmm. you do all the time, all the time. And how do you respond to those expectations? Sometimes I'll, I'll like, I'm not, I'm not closed off to, um, I'm open to learning new things. So like, if I see something and it makes sense, I might try it. Mm -hmm. Oh, this might help. Well, this might do this for me. But most of the time that video is just trying to go viral as well. So it's not even like it's real tips or something that's actually going to help you. Absolutely. We had an idea for you to come up here. I'm like, yo, you know what? You can go right upstairs and we can just do like videos upstairs and yep. just rap on these mics. And we, you, how many songs did you do? How many videos? Uh, four. Four, right? You just knocked it out. I said, switch your flight, go upstairs. Let's go make four songs and go shoot the video. And we could do this. We could do that without any hesitation. You were like, all right, let's do it. 1000%. Now a one percenter has to go through stages of shielding the old version of themselves to become the new version of themselves. But what I happen to find is that the more that a one percenter allows their dark side to be able to be seen, then they overcome their limitations. So I'll give you an example. I personally noticed in my life that one thing that TikTok has done for me, which is really amazing, is it made me go again to being a perfectionist, right? Because I'm like, oh, I'm not gonna post this YouTube video until I do this, and I'm not gonna post this. And then why was I doing that? I wasn't aware of it at the time, but I became very aware in these last couple of weeks as I did some work on myself. One thing that TikTok did favor is my compulsiveness. So compulsiveness was a weakness of mine, and that com being compulsive of posting and then posting another video, three to five videos a day on TikTok to grow, it supported my compulsiveness, but it also kind of brought me out of being perfectionist. But I noticed that I would never be the, the person I dreamed to be in that form. I had, to, I, had, I had to acknowledge my weakness and my dark side. And my dark side is that sometimes I just like having fun. Like, Dark side doesn't mean it has to be bad. Dark side is something you you can be embarrassed about bringing out into the world because you're scared of being judged or you're scared of the society, the new society you built for yourself being successful is going to judge you or it's going to go against people's belief systems. And the dark side of me is like, no, I like to have fun. I like to make jokes. I like to teach, but I like to have fun too. And I think, or I make mistakes. I may, oh, you know what? The phone dropped. We got to start all over. Oh, you know what? It didn't turn out to be perfect. The microphone, let's start all over. And I became like that with podcasts and YouTube for years. And in the beginning, when I told you, yo, if I don't make this fun, I'm not doing this no more. Mm -hmm. Like it's been really on my, my mind. Like, yo, I may want to walk away from all this. Like I really, really felt that deeply these last couple of weeks before the TikTok thing even happened. But what I found in that moment is that I wasn't allowing my dark side the side of me that I'm trying to hide from the world that, Hey, look, I do have friends and I do, we curse. Hey, I do like, you know, you know, having a little bit, not like welcome back to be great Renee today. And today we're going to talk about why you have diarrhea. Yeah. 
do you feel like there's a side of you that you're discovering that you want to bring to the world? And that side may be the you you never knew. Do you feel like within you, you're finding something in you? And if you are, what is that? And how is it different than the old version of you? Man, I feel like I change every day. Um, Literally, I don't ever feel like how I did yesterday. So, but I feel like the dark side, I guess my dark side would be like being like my playful or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I usually like typically present myself very serious, which is just me. Like I'm just always serious. I'm somebody might see me and think that I'm uh, be or whatever. Mm -hmm. Or yeah, like I'm mean, which I can be, but that's not who I am. Like Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm, I am good at returning energy and you know, just I'm just a very serious person. So I feel like I want to let out more of my playful side. Um, you know, just to show that it's not that deep. Like, cause I'm not, I'm always joking with the people that I'm close to and, you know, put myself around. I constantly clowning and making fun of people and, you know, just laughing, making people laugh. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Ned. Sharing more of that. So it sounds like we're both having something that's very similar. Yeah. Like want to have a little more fun and play and not be so serious not be yes because it's not that deep what do you think that came from for you hmm i don't know i grew up pretty serious um i don't know not serious but like like my i i grew up a lot i grew up to be a lot like my dad mm-hmm. and my dad was always very uh very stern very you know serious dude also playful around his people mm-hmm. i'm sure that's where i get it from but um just like presenting he presents very serious, very like you do not want to mess with him. And I feel like a lot of people feel like that with me, too. Like they look at me in the face and just be like, you don't like don't even joke around with her because she probably can't take a joke when it's not even like that. It's just the way I look. Can't help it. My face. Yeah. Do you think and it's not to play victim, it's not to do any of that, because as I was sitting here, I'm like, OK, what do we have in common that created that shadow, dark, that dark side of us that's not allowed to come out? There's a lot of other things Like I told people. My other dark side is I'll smack you. Like, <laughs> yo, you got to get Reem away from me, man. I can't. <laughs> Reem. No, like, that's it's valid. serious. That's valid. Hey, hey, no, it's serious, right? Like when I was, you know, Reem knows me when I was younger. He know uh, he knows of me. You know what I'm saying? Like, was I uh, the biggest thug? In the, I wasn't, uh, that wasn't that. I had little brothers that looked up to me and I, my father raised me better than that. I was on the street. I was a smart one on the street. But I noticed that I was being very nice because if I'm not nice and extra smart and so serious and working hard, then I may not be accepted. Because if I'm not accepted, then I may not make it out. And if I don't make it out, then I'm stuck. I feel that. Right. Mm -hmm. So I noticed being this nice guy, I was always the one finishing last. And there's a mentor that I used that I watch on YouTube. And there's sometimes you ever watch a mentor say something and you 100% disagree with them? Oh, it's not. You're like, yo, I'm not listening to this person no more. I'll be like, that's bullshit. And then out of nowhere, five years later, you think about it and you go, damn, this motherfucker was right. <laughs> that's like that's like your parents telling you when you was younger, you want to grow up so bad. You want you try to grow up so fast. Wait till you get an adult. And then you get an adult and you're like, oh, yeah, this is what exactly. I was hyped for this. Like, it's the same. Yeah, yeah. very, very true. Yeah, I, and I literally remember 
you know, after that, I had to wake up out of that. So you'll have more fun if you let that dark side go. And that's for everybody that's listening. Carl Jung says you'll never really be able to fully be who you really are until you embrace that other side. And when you don't, then you go through a midlife crisis. And that midlife crisis is a person, as they're changing, they're noticing that nothing in their environment feels the same. They're not satisfied with anything as far as not like a one percenter. They, they look around the relationships and they don't want to be around these type of people. They look around their neighborhood or the house they're living in. They may not want to, they don't want to follow through on that no more. They lose inspiration with anything and everything around them because they notice that the one side of showing only the good side brought them this life that they truly don't want because the other side still exists in them. You know what I'm saying? So a person will go through like a midlife crisis. It gets deeper than that, but just to keep it simple. That makes sense. I always wonder why people uh, have midlife crisis, mm-hmm. why they go through that. And that makes sense. Yeah. That's one of the, a person mm-hmm. has to master being who they truly are. And most of, most people don't even know who they truly are. And what I do with a client is I'll do different things. So you'll go, passion and purpose. And then I look at body language when we do their dream map, Yep. but then I'll do their body language when we talk about relationships. Mm-hmm. Now, And then usually you, you can find the one percenter when it comes down to learning how to make money and taking their dream and making it to, you know, making it green is what I like to call it. You can see enthusiasm getting up. Then when I see something from their past, like a relationship or asking people from what you're worth, charging for what you're worth. I noticed these things go down and then my body language goes down. I'm like, okay, there's something there. And then I have to remind them that same person that you were bossing, that character that you just showed me on the board about how confident you are. We need to bring that same energy to this person here. And usually they don't because they are not allowing that other dark side to come in. Um, you know, so that's why there's a lot of reasons why I called the book, the you, you never knew, but the goal is to get you to realize all of you. You you can't realize all of you if you're sick. You can't realize all of you if you don't know your dream. You can't realize, because it's work. So you're on your purpose right now. You're on your pursuit of purpose. You're protecting your energy, doing a very good job at that. It brings persistence and consistency. What is your end goal? Why are you doing this? Music or Everything. just working on myself? Music. And trying to really, you know, continue to create a legacy. Why? What, what is it for? If I give you a million dollars today, would you stop? No. If I give you $10 million, would you stop? No. Why? Because it's not, it's not really about the money. Um, like, I feel like working on me, I feel like I just want to be, obviously, be the best version of myself. Got that from you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, that's really, that's really important to me because I know that there's a lot of people out there who don't who don't know themselves, like you said, mm-hmm. like barely familiar with themselves, like a stranger. They can't look at themselves in the mirror. And I know that's tough for them. So I don't want to be like that. Mm-hmm. I want to be completely comfortable with myself. I enjoy my alone time. And this is probably why, because I'm so used to being alone. Like I'm just comfortable with me and I want to continue being that way. And I know that things change and I change all the time. And I want to continue to be comfortable with whoever I am, whatever version of myself I am. Um, so yeah, do it for that. And for the people around me, I want them to be, feel the same. I want them to, you know, 
eat healthy and feel good and you know yeah be at at their best at all times yeah you know, I wrote the other day that a one percenter wants the people in front of them to experience their life that they never could and then wants to leave behind for the next generation a life that was better than yours yeah and deep down inside that drive is there because it's more personal that drive is more there as a one percenter because it's bigger than you because mm-hmm. if we give you money, you're good. You're not going to be happy until mom's happy. Yep. Exactly. And then until little bros are happy. And then everybody's happy. You know what I'm saying? And that's why the one percenter, I say, overcoming generational trauma and poverty. And then when you do something, you inspire the next generation, but you make the next generation's life a lot easier, which is amazing. And then you reverse the DNA. Yeah. I noticed, you know, I just, I wrote this in my, in my, in my, and I'm writing a blog about this. It was supposed to be like a page block is 18 pages now, but I basically said a one percenter, the soul of a one percenter comes here suited up, knowing the mission they're going to take. And the creator picks the strongest souls that have went through past lives that always came up with a pure heart. It's very important for the one percenter to come here and the creator is very important for the creator to pull the one percenter to come here because the DNA of that one percenter's future family won't be able to survive or they'll continue to decline. So something or someone needs to come into this and then reverse that DNA and then put the trajectory back up. Why do you think that's important? I mean, why do you think that's the case? I This is all in my opinion, but why would you think it's important for someone's DNA not to go down or non-exist? Because it wouldn't, then it wouldn't, then it wouldn't be here anymore. And why does that matter? I think everybody has their their roles that they play on earth. Mm-hmm. And I think if you if if the family line goes down or whatever, then that's the end of it and then the next generation can't. Mhm. Yeah. What I put down is the DNA is stored memory. And it is the memory of your ancestors who have mastered or learned a skill or a trait that was passed down to you and humanity and evolution needs that skill. So if we let one DNA go down then we're putting humans at risk so that one soul comes in, agrees to take on the mission and usually throughout their childhood, the soul becomes very smart on getting the ego, the norepinephrine, adrenaline, stress to numb the body from the amount of trauma and stress they're going through. And usually a one percent will start feeling this more at the end of their 20s going into their 30s. They'll notice more health problems, more fatigue. And the number one kryptonite to one percenters happens to be health problems. Because a one percenter has mastered the mind to push through pain until more stress is added on, like more additional bills, unexpected, you know, um, bills that come up, working feeling extra tired, the one percenter is noticing that nature is starting to, you can't, you can't run through nature. At a younger age, there was no bills. You just had to go to school, which is, and you still go through your trauma and your stress, which is very hard. But now it's different. It's different because Mm -hmm. you're taking that on with new stress, Mm -hmm. with new bills and things in that nature. And then the body starts to lose that momentum and starts to go down. And that I call that surface pain. So one percenter will come to me with digestive issues, skin problems, low energy back problems. 
And that's all surface pain because the things that cause those things are subconscious choices that they're making with diet, life choices that are coming from the trauma. You see what I'm saying? So you'll always find a pattern in this and that's called the root. And one thing, the deeper the root, the more I have a, a rhythm or a theme called getting you back to your roots when I work with a client. So most people, when it comes down to getting back to the roots, lose their culture, lose the music from the culture, lose the ability to master money. Now, when I talk about master money, bro, it's like, I'm not a billionaire, you know what I'm saying? But I expose myself when I'm like, yo, I dropped $96,000 on a Mercedes, that was not smart. Or yo, I lost $200,000, that was not smart. Learn from me, learn from me. Here's how you can think differently about money. Money is freedom, money is energy. We don't think about that. Money is either evil when you grow up or money is everything. Like, but what are you going to do with that money? You know, so most people getting back to the root chakra, we have to master that and then get into the root cause of your problems. Okay, so when I came home, I was 276 pounds. Now I'm 246, I'm down 30 pounds, right? And I'm keep dropping weight. What do you think was the reason behind my weight gain? Maybe stress. Was that it? Yeah. It, it, stress. it stress definitely has something. I think that happens for a lot of people. They gain weight from stress, and mm -hmm. overeating mm -hmm. from stress. There you go. Thinking that it, uh, I don't know. I feel like it's like a distraction for the mind sometimes to eat something. In your opinion, do you expect my book to be good? Yes, of course. I expect the book to be amazing. Can't wait to read it. Awesome. I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. I'm doing the best that I can to get more guests like Beans, more one percenters on this podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review, leave a rating. It really helps the podcast and share it with a friend. If you haven't already, you can check Beans information down below in the description, as well as becoming a part of my tribe. It's free. The only thing you have to do is click on the link down below where it says become the best version of yourself within five minutes each week. Enter your email and you will be a part of the tribe. See you in the next podcast.